This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey everyone, welcome to Pop Culture Confidential, our last show ahead of the Christmas weekend. And my guest this week, Variety's Jazz Tanke, is the perfect way to spread some holiday cheer. Welcome, Jazz. I'm so happy to have you back. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. It's been such a long time, right? I think I'm still at Awards Daily. You were way back when you were at Awards Daily, we're on the show. Since then, you've become the senior artisans editor at Variety and you cover all crafts below the line and you're everywhere. You're writing, you're moderating every panel. I'm so, I feel like I'm so proud of you. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me, truly. And thank you. Before we get started, if anyone who listens, I doubt it, but what does crafts and below the line mean specifically? What is it you cover? So... Um, I cover everybody, as you said, below the line. So that's the costume designer, the production designer, the cinematographer, the editor, the composer, um, you know, the visual effects supervisor, because I think the one thing that people, and this is something I picked up when I was at Awards Daily, is that so many people focus on the talent, and I love them with all due respect, but also costume design tells a story, makeup tells a story and editing too you know like when you're engrossed in you know everybody loves um you know the power of the dog that cinematography that editing you know all of that coming together helps make that film you know in every scene with Benedict and Cody Smith McPhee and Kirsten Dunst that's what helps tell that story makes those performances so much more powerful so that's what I do in a nutshell so 2021 and we're still here jazz it's not been easy for cinema and it continues to be chaotic it's a roller coaster ride of delays day and date releases and i'm going to get your general thoughts on the state of cinema later at the show but now i want to sort of summarize 2021 from the craft side i want to talk to you about some of the innovative craft moments how they reflect in the upcoming oscar season makeup transformations and transformative soundtracks. There's been tragedy and union strikes. But let's start with cinematography. There are several outstanding works this year powered by women. Ari Wegner and Claire Mathon both pulled double duty, actually. Uh, Wegner with Jane Campion's The Power of the Dog and Zola. And Claire worked on Spencer and Celine Sciamma's Petite Maman. What are your thoughts? Is, is there more room for women today? In terms of cinematography? Yes. You know, every year there are always, there's never any shortage of women cinematographers. Um, if you look at the women in film ballot, you know, vote for women ballot, which they do every year, they've released their, you know, their list of women working behind the scenes. And, you know, there's definitely over 10 female cinematographers. Um I feel, you know, and in the history of that field, only one woman, Rachel Morrison for Mudbound, was nominated. And here we are again in another great year. I feel this is the year that Ari could make, you know, should almost definitely make it. Um, But again, you know, it's a male-dominated, white men-dominated field. And I'm, I'm terrified because... We've had this 
story before and you know if she you know if she doesn't make it it will be such a disappointment but is there room definitely if they love if you know the guild loves Claire Mappen's work in Spencer you know there's no reason why you can't have two cinematographers in there yes well, I'm, I'm I'm counting on it right these two films, both The Power of the Dog and Spencer in particular, I mean, the cinematography is just such a huge part of what gives you that haunting feeling. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, let's watch the space, I guess, and let's see what, you know, let's see what happens. What else are you looking out for in cinematography from this year? You know, I do. I, I love uh, Greg Frazier's work in, in Dune. He went from doing The Mandalorian to, you know, this great epic with Denis Villeneuve. Um, I love the cinematography in Nightmare Alley. Beautifully done. Um, you know, how just how it goes from the grim dark world of the carnival to the sexy and lush uh, or world of, the, of, you know, noir. West Side Story, you know, Janusz Kaminski incredible cinematographer iconic always works with Spielberg his work is is beautiful too um and I have to you know give props to Alice Brooks you know she did in the heights and um tick tick boom working with Lin-Manuel Miranda again you know if they love tick tick boom enough and they could I'd love to see her name rise love what she's been doing she's definitely a cinematographer to watch so those are some of my my favorites and on, unfortunately, on a tragic note, there was an, a female cinematographer, Helena Hutchins, who actually was shot in the terrible tragedy on the Rust set, the Alec Baldwin film that we've read so much about. Just a loss to, to the industry. I wanted to get into a little bit about what happened here. How did this incident rattle the industry? More than anything, it was more about, you know, safety on set you know it came at a time when the IATSE discussion was going on about people you know crew members being overworked they're always the first on set they're the last offset there's not enough like turnaround time so they're you know they're sleeping in their cars because their drive home is two hours they don't have the luxury of always living close by um and and gun safety on set like there was a live bullet somewhere down the line. And, the, you know, obviously the investigation is, is ongoing, but somewhere down the line, a live bullet was, was left in that gun. Where was it checked? You know, and this is where, you know, you have unions, you have union crew members working on a movie, but because of how this set was being run, you know, the, the union members had actually left and Helena was one of the few that stayed behind. Um, and sadly, you know, and I'm so unfortunate her, she paid with her life because of that. And, you know, I think it's, people are saying, you know, you can do guns through visual effects, like gunfights and gun shoots, like you don't need that because not everybody's going to have like the multi-million dollar budget to, to do that, but this can be done alternate ways. And, you know, hopefully I think, you know, it definitely sparked a conversation. So it'll be interesting to see what the industry does moving forward. You were mentioning Ayatsi, which is kind of the umbrella organization for all the below the line unions. 
it must be a difficult year considering COVID and, and so many people out of work. Did this strike that they had in 2021, did it move anything forward? I think it definitely raised attention as to how crew members are being treated. And, you know, I think it made them feel seen. They don't feel seen for their work and they definitely aren't seen for, you know, what they're doing, the commitment, like, you know, people saying they've missed bar mitzvahs, they don't get to go to doctor appointments because they're working on a movie and they don't get to go to the bathroom we've been reading they don't get to go to the bathroom because you know unlike your talent you know if someone's like okay I need to go to the bathroom that can stop if that talent I'm you know needs to go to the doctor's appointment they can go because they're not going to get replaced whereas the crew member is seen as replaceable and that again is depends on the individual studios the individual producers and how they treat their crew members so I definitely think that it was, you know, to see so much of Hollywood rallying behind them. I definitely think it was, it's, it's a step. I just hope it's not forgotten about because that's how the town works, right? We, we see an issue, we discuss it, and then we kind of move on to the next thing. Well, hopefully if anything good comes out of this tragedy with Helena Hutchins, um, it'll be that we'll keep our eyes on the ball concerning those issues. Moving along, there's been a lot of makeup transformations this year in 2021, everything from Jared Leto in House of Gucci to Nicole Kidman as Lucy and uh, Jessica Chastain in an incredible transformation. Tell me a little bit about the makeup you saw this year. Oh my gosh, the makeup this year has been (laughs) phenomenal. And I think that's the thing, you know, one thing that I've really learned over the years and speaking to makeup artists is their work tells tells a, a story too. And yes, you have the most blatant example of a prosthetic. So like Jared Leto in House of Gucci, you know, you're watching that going, who's that playing it? Oh yeah, it's Jared. And he completely disappears under like this layer of prosthetics and silicone. Jessica Chastain is phenomenal in Eyes of Tammy Faye. Like again, that's another movie you're watching. It's like, I'm seeing Tammy Faye Baker. And it's like, no, wait a minute. That is Jessica Chastain. Similarly, Stellan Skarsgård in Dune makeup is incredible. But one that I really loved, and I learned this from speaking with them, was Lady Gaga in House of Gucci. The way that film covers three decades and the makeup arc is so subtle, but yet it's so powerful. Like this young woman in love with, this guy she suddenly gets a little bit of power and it gets bolder and bolder and bolder and then she also gets older and by the end she's like a woman standing trial and like they aged her without using any prosthetics it was all contouring and I was like well there you go that's 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 the craft that's magic. In itself. yeah and also like tragedy and Macbeth the makeup in there it's it's Belfast too of like very subtle but it's all done in you know with black and white and being the Ricardos Nicole Kidman as you say learning like you know, the colors that work in color um, don't necessarily work in black and white. So they have to use different shades of red to make. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. There's several scenes there, of course, when they go back to doing the I Love Lucy show, they're, mm-hmm. they're of course filmed in black and white. Of course, these big transformations are the ones that stick out. Do you see the ones that are most talked about come Oscar time or are there more subtle ones? I definitely think like, you know, the the big transformation ones will probably get through with the Guild. And so, you know, it goes back, you know, see what the Guild votes 
you know, but they do love that transformation. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see being the Ricardo, Tammy Faye, Dune, Hasaguchi, and then something else. Watch the space. Hello, and welcome to Guilty Greeny. I feel like we should start off this show by saying it's nearly impossible to be 100% sustainable given the current world we live in. How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Not a great analogy for a vegetarian, but you know. <laughs> We're talking uh, about sustainability, maybe not the best analogy. <laughs> Don't eat the elephant is the first rule of the guilty green. <laughs> There's your first challenge of the week. <laughs> Avoid elephants. Elephant. What they used to call frugal is now considered sustainable. It's such an aha moment. Frugal to sustainable. You can save money and help the planet. That's going to be our new tagline for sure. Yeah, tag- <laughs> You can find Guilty Greenie on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you prefer. And join us in tackling the Guilty Greenie challenges. Until then, stay curiously green. I wanted to get talk to you about music this year. I'm a huge Johnny Greenwood fan. And there we have someone else who's pulling many double duties um, talk about the music this year I mean the music this year is is phenomenal you've got Johnny Greenwood doing three different types of scores you know and none are the same at all you know you've got the power of the dog he did uh Spencer too which is a complete like you know that's a horror story in itself in the same way that power of the dog is a psychological thriller the music there is incredible I love the music of Belfast with you know Van Morrison you know it Again, that is, you know, um, just how he is, how um, Kenneth Branagh did a tribute to Ireland and Belfast and where he grew up. You know, he said, Van Morrison is the voice of Ireland and who better to do the soundtrack? And then you've got people like Hans Zimmer, again, you know, doing wall-to-wall music in, in Dune. So I think the the score category is going to be fascinating to watch you've got Nicholas Brattel who who did Don't Look Up but he also did Cruella you know two and of course our favorite show Christina Succession Succession <laughs> Brattel <laughs> is everywhere yeah. also yeah he is everywhere but you know that's a great score too so it'll be interesting to see like what what comes through but I think you've got your definite nominees and I've been seeing Iglesias win for Parallel Mothers, who I yeah. love that score. And I was so happy to see that he's won already a couple of guilds. If that, as you said, is a great score. I think Encanto is is a great score too. You know, they love their Disney stuff, um, but that's done by a female composer. So again, you know, if they if that lands with the Academy Music Branch, watch the space because she could, Jermaine Franco could make history there. What other uh, areas have really stuck out for you this year and went in your reporting? Obviously, costume design is, is always fascinating to look at. Um, you know, I think Mark Johnson or somebody yesterday posted about the costumes of Cruella and it was like that film came out, you know, so early, but the costumes in that are, the whole film is about fashion. Um, really yeah her well, some of her dresses and coats are just spectacular right. so that would be you know so great to see I love the costumes in Nightmare Alley Louis Siquiera who always works with Del Toro his detail there um, the costumes of the harder they fall you know just before we started recording so I was doing a Q&A with the costume designer and 
you know you you, re- you realize like how she, she uses blue and indigo and the journey you know little details that helped tell this historical this story and then West- you've got it's the western by you know uh, james samuel and then you know every fashionista you know i love had the costumes of house of gucci that wedding dresses was handmade and then you have the costumes of dune which you know every time i've done a q a there's in person there's been like hundreds of people coming out to see that um so yeah well and spencer i mean everyone has such a relationship to princess diana's clothes right very ever so subtly that's such interesting work that they've done there that you can always see that it's influenced but it's not the exact dress she wore but you see but you recognize it from some picture the essence of it which is what you know which is what I think Pablo Lorraine intended it was like this is not a biopic if you want that go watch the crown this is the Mm -hmm. essence of who she is um so yes there's there's even Cyrano the costumes in Cyrano are, are incredible so yeah I think you know costume design is one of my fav- favorite categories every year to to see so we'll see what the the guild goes and what about set design this year I mean the production design too has been outstanding you know I mean again starting with Dune I think that's going to lead the way in the crafts just because you know Denny did not do that using visual effects it was all done in camera so I think that's great. I think, you know, West Side Story has got a beautiful, you know, there's, there's some beautiful sets at Nightmare Alley. You know, again, there is no, you know, there isn't a specific alley. It's just that if you watch the film, there are so many alleys within the set. And you're like, oh, I didn't realize that. Go back and watch the film and notice all the different alleys being the Ricardos, you know, recreating the iconic I Love Lucy sets. French Dispatches. Oh my God, there's so much production design. You just said, how did they, it's like all production design. (laughs) It's like, it is all production design and just how, you know, Wes Anderson and Matt Wilde was built through his go-to Adam Stockhausen, who also did Double Duty this year and did West Side Story. So it's Everyone's working overtime. I don't know how they do it. They're all doing Double Duty. Arthur Max did, you know, The Last Duel, which I know is such a contentious film. Yeah. You know, if you if you are her on film Twitter, but like he did Double Duty, he did that and House of Gucci. So they're all. I guess with COVID, some things took longer, but still, it's pretty incredible. For sure. Um, one of the things that I've learned through my years of also predicting and following the Oscars and from you guys is that the editing category at the Oscars it. Very seldom that a best editing nominee has not won best picture. Who are the ones you see being nominated for editing here? <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, you know, it's so fascinating. I feel Belfast will obviously be nominated. Um, I think Power of the Dog in June. I think, you know, Licorice Pizza, people love that film a lot. Um, so it's really just watch the Ace Eddies. I mean, those are the those are the films that I feel will be Coda is such a great example of editing there because what Sean Hedder did and pulling the sound Mm -hmm. for like two minutes I'm not going to ruin the scene but you know if you haven't seen Coda sneak it out it is such a great film for so many reasons 
Is there anything that was sometimes when we talk about sound design and, and the Oscars and, and sound and things you can sort of films that are obviously have a lot of sound or a lot of bullets or war films or mm -hmm. whatever in terms of editing what tends to win? I think it's so difficult I think you know but if you ask what what I think could win this year I think Dune just because it is really the definition of like his his sound mixing here's him here's Joe Walker putting in score here is you know this cut from you know the of the whatever I forget the name of the 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 vehicles that are used to take off and then you've got like the fat you know the sandworms coming up and it's just perfectly paced out so I think that is probably the the greatest visual reference of all those crafts coming together that we've just talked about. And that would be sort of an editing package is what you mean. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Before we, I let you go, um, I wanted to ask you a bit about sort of the state of, of movies in general. As I was mentioning at the top, it's a pandemic year, but we just saw Spider-Man No Way Home breakthrough <laughs> with like the biggest of third opening ever, not just post-pandemic. At the same time, there's been a lot of worry for films like West Side Story, which had, just has had a disappointing opening. Will day and date work and such? How are you feeling? Are you worried? Look, you know, I think if we look at what Spider-Man opened to, what, 260 million this weekend. I mean, those numbers are insane. It's the second largest, second biggest box office debut in history. I think, you know, there is, cinema is not going away. I think if you look at it, you know, West Side Story is not going to pull in. Sad to say this, it's not going to pull in every demographic out there. Nightmare Alley, you know, people were sending, there were screenshots of somebody saying, you know, they were getting an email from AMC asking if they wanted a refund because they were going to shut down a screen for Nightmare Alley to show Spider-Man. And I think, you know, that to me was really sad. I don't think that, you know, a change should have been doing it, but I get why they did it. So how do I feel about it? I, you know, cinema, as long as, as long as Del Toro, Steven Spielberg, you know, Jane Campion and Ridley Scott and all those directors continue doing what they're doing, I think cinema will, will live on. Are you worried about mid-range adult films, so to speak? No, there's an, audience, there's an audience for it. I mean, House of Gucci has made over $100 million. It's an adult tailored drama. I think part of that is to do with the Gaga fans too, but, you know, it is the only film that I heard adult, every adult that's not in film, that's not on film Twitter in our circle that doesn't read like Variety or The Hollywood Report were like, oh, what's that film with like Gaga and, and Gucci? And it was like, that made a hundred million dollars and people haven't really been talking about that too. So adult drama is still alive. There is definitely an audience out there. And I think as long as it's, you know, I know where it's a crazy time because of the pandemic and Omicron, you know, surging as, as it is as, as long as it's safe I think people will will go because there is something great about seeing the tragedy of Macbeth on the big screen you know people want to watch Nightmare Alley on the big screen like I would totally go and watch it in black and white as long as it's safe and you know I think people were saying well, there was a post at the Arclight Cinema in Hollywood 
could come back next year. Um, and there's nothing like being in a movie theater, not looking at your phone for two hours and a half and, you know, laughing at a scene with people, you know, like Encanto, that was so joyful to watch with an audience and hear them laugh and go, okay, I'm not the only one laughing at this moment. Yeah, and you should have seen my audience with Spider-Man. That was the best. People were just standing up and and it was like a release, both from the pandemic and just to be able to go to the good movie. And that was so much fun. There you go. Well, Jazz, thank you so much for your time. I know that you're super busy and this was great. Thank you so much for having me on Pop Culture again. It's It's been a while. It's been, you know... Yeah, way too long. A long time. So thank you very much for having me and good seeing you, Christina. Good seeing you. Thank you so much to Jazz Tanke. You can read her work at Variety and follow her on Twitter at Jazz T. And thank you so much for listening to Pop Culture Confidential, a part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and have a great Christmas weekend. See you next time. I'm Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast.